Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're, we're so excited for our chapters this week. Um, the end of the story of Joseph. It's gonna be, We're excited every week. Yeah, so that's so just typical. If you're a first-timer, hi. We just moved through the Come Follow Me curriculum in the Old Testament this year, uh, just pointing out things that we think you don't want to miss um, in each chunk of scripture. Okay, before we get into Joseph's story, which we're so excited about, there's another thing that we are triply excited about. That's so true. Yeah, and it's Easter. If you've Uh, known us for a long time, you know we love Easter. Uh, Some religions call it a high holy day, and that is how we love to enter into it. We, We like it to be a holiday that you actually prepare for the same way you do Christmas, where there's just anticipation building up as that holiday comes. So we have But it's have so some hard ideas. to. Like I feel like it sneaks so up hard. on you every year. And it's so it you moves. just I know. She's gonna write the king of the world and ask him to keep Easter on the same day. Um until like the that third Sunday yeah. <laughs> of April. It would be so easy. I don't even care which day it is. I just like to count up to it. You have so. to take that up with the But we're so we're so grateful for other religions who do Lent 40 days before, or some of our friends who celebrate Palm Sunday, it just, it gives us that little reminder. Yeah. Here comes Easter. So we didn't want you to miss Easter coming. So here's a couple of things that we're going to do at Easter time that you might want to kind of get ready for that you'll just gather some things up for. Especially if you are, I remember when my kids were little and we did the Easter egg hunts and the Easter baskets and the Easter bunny. We were all about that. But I also wanted my kids to know like the real reason behind that holiday was Jesus. And I wanted to have things that that turned their heart in a way that they could also focus on him. And so that's what we're hoping is just to bring a balance of both of those good things. Make sure you get some Cadbury eggs. Is that your favorite? What's your favorite Easter candy? This is Uh, fun. um, It's, I think, no, it's not the ones with the cream in it. It's the oh. real, the, like the robin egg type ones. Yes, it's I love It's made by Cadbury. That you can paint your lips with those I have those never robin done eggs. that, but yeah. Wait, if it's ones. made by Cadbury, those are the Cadbury Oh, I eggs. thought you were talking about the, the one with like the yolk Malted? inside. Oh, I lo- that's Cadbury too. I love those. <laughs> it's Easter weird that there's a yellow something candy. in there for me. The, and what about the malted eggs you can put on like lipstick? Okay. I, n- I haven't done that. And peeps. peeps. Do you love or hate peeps? Um, I only love to put peeps in the microwave and watch them like explode. What? I only like peeps if they've been <laughs> on the fridge for a week with the package open. Oh, so just kind of like crunchy. Okay. Um, I can't come here for Easter, but at least we both agree <laughs> on Jesus. That is the one thing that's going to be really good about and this. And this, and this, this yeah. really fun thing we are about to do. Let's okay, start so with those. On these ones? Yeah. Okay. So two things that might help you celebrate Easter. Well, we have three. Because we wrote a children's Easter book a couple years that ago. That is so true. And with we the nativity, with the Easter, Easter. nativity. <laughs> Every year we keep doing so many I know, Easter things. We just love yeah. that build up to Easter. <laughs> and let's talk about this. One of the things that we're going to do is this fun countdown with the names of 
Christ. And this will be new for us this year. This is our first year of doing it. But after doing the countdown of Christ with candles for Christmas, both of our families loved it. Like for my kids, that was their top favorite thing we did at Christmas. And my kids all said, when are we going to do this again? And I was like, oh, this is so fun because I just left my Emmanuel wreath out and we're going to do something really similar for Easter. So here's the good news. A lot of you didn't get your Emmanuel wreaths in time. And so do this with us. It's going to be so fun. And we're actually so excited about it. We talked to Deseret Book about putting those Emmanuel wreaths out for Easter, which it sounds like is going to happen because they're finally off the boat. Everyone. Yeah, they made it. It's an Easter miracle. <laughs> it's an Easter we miracle. We didn't get a Christmas one, but we got that. But and so we are going to count down those names again with the living Christ. Um, it just, it really brought the spirit of Jesus. So yeah. this is what we did. We took um, the living Christ and we divided it up to the eight days so that you could start on Palm, Palm Sunday. Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, and then end on Easter Day. So there's eight days, and we just divided it up. And this will be in the newsletter. It will also be in the app that you can download and print out. And on one side, it will have... Let me show you this side first. Well, I'll tell you the day. On this side, it will give you a section of the living Christ that we've divided out. And then within that section are these three names. So every day we'll have three, four-ish names that are on it. And so each you just day, then, think about those names. Let those names be part of what you're doing. This is going to be totally free. Um, I tried to design it really easy, so minimal cutting. All you're going to do is print off that page, and you're just going to fold it in half and glue it together. And immediately you have your, like it came like this. This is a full page if I opened it. And then you're just going to fold it together. So this is, stays folded and glue it and then just cut the top and the bottom and you are like done. It's your easiest Easter PDF you've ever made in your life. Yeah, and you can just set these out and you can do it each night of starting on Palm Sunday. And just think about the names, but I also love that we're thinking about the living Christ, right. which is what we right. love to celebrate at Easter. So it's just a beautiful way of bringing the living Christ into your home to think about it. This is going to be totally free. You can just download and use as you want. If you wish you were doing it with lighting a candle, you're going to be able to find that wreath now easily. So that could be fun. And then on Easter morning. Yeah. So our Easter video that will come out two weeks before Easter, um, we are going to kind of teach this little lesson. We're so excited about this. Um, in case you just want to kind of have a Easter day type of thing. Then this is going to totally work. Most of this stuff you're just going to probably be able to find in your home. If not, you're, it's not going to be hard to find. Um, what we want to do is talk about this because we're studying the Old Testament this year. The Old Testament is filled with prophecy of the coming of Jesus, both when he was born, but then also a lot of prophecy about his death and then his second coming again. And we went through and just pulled out some of our favorite prophecies of that week of when Jesus died. Um, the Come Follow Me manual also has some in there. Uh, most of ours are similar. There are a couple of ours that are just a little bit different. We'll list all of them so you know. But all you're going to need to prepare, and we'll put this in the newsletter, is four pieces of fabric, a rock. You can. I got this out of my brother's front yard. A nail, hopefully you have in your garage. A piece of bread. A sacrament cup, which you might have because we've been doing the sacrament for so long. Um, 
a little lamb. I pulled this out of a nativity set. You need 30 pieces of silver. These are just dimes from our coin drawer. And it's amazing you had 30 dimes. You, I bet you have 30 dimes in I your pro house. I bet I don't. Okay, well. I bet you those 30 dimes I don't. You just need a thing that holds your extra coins. I don't have coins. Okay. <laughs> I'm older than you. This is one of those moments where you see our age. You can and just then, put a Venmo like <laughs> scan inside there instead for 30. No, you're going to have to go to the bank. Listen, I will give you 30 Thank, you, thank you. And a cross. You're going to want a cross. Um, this is all you're going to need. We will walk you through the whole thing, but maybe get your start like thinking about your supplies and get them all together in a little box. And this is going to be such a fun Easter. Okay. All the details of that in the newsletter. If you don't have the newsletter, don't miss the study.com is how you can sign up to get it. And then this PDF will also be in the app. So should be easy to yep. get those and start all getting free, ready. Just um, download, pull together at your house, um, everything that you need. If you want the wreath, we'll link to it so you can find it, but just a fun way to bring Jesus in. Yeah. Okay. Now today's lesson, which is so, oh. so Jesus centered. Like as we were talking about that, I was like, I think this lesson's sort of the Easter lesson too, you know, it, it really, really is. is jinx. Um, okay. So the piece we're putting on right now, we started little Joseph's story last time, but really kind of focused on um, Tamar. And then now it's this little card and that goes you, right here. And if you didn't watch last week, let's just quickly talk about this. One of the things that we love about the story of Jesus is Matthew 1, which we're not studying this year, but it's a genealogy that lists all a lot of the grandmothers of Jesus. And that Matthew 1 is so much more endearing if you know the grandmothers. So we're going to introduce you to each of the grandmothers, those four grandmothers that you need to know. And last week we introduced you to the first one, Tamar. You say Tamar, I say Tamar, either is fine, everybody. Um, that... Um, you, we met her last week, plus talked about Joseph. So if you yeah. didn't watch last week and you want to know more about the grandmas, just grab that one. And then they'll all look like this. So you'll know all four by the time we get done. Yeah. Okay. Joseph goes right there. You'll see right here too, we're getting into Egypt. And that's kind of what that story is and where we get into last time. I love time. that you just said that because so many people were like, is there a pyramid in the... Bible. And oh. it just was our way of like saying, Egypt. we're going to move into Egypt huh. now. That was, that's what, what other that was. symbol would you do for? It's perfect. I love that you yeah. chose the pyramid. This is so funny because when I was thinking about this this morning as we we're getting ready for this or just thinking about it this morning. Yeah. And um, when I went to Egypt, um, my the tour guide that was there with us, when we got off the plane, he said, how many of you in here are a descendant of Ephraim and Manasseh? And I was like, you know, a lot of us, there's a lot of LDS people yeah. there. And we knew because of our patriarchal blessings, you know, and I raised my hand and, um, and he was like, welcome home. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, so they, they really were born in Egypt. I, I'm Egyptian. You know, I was like, this is really cool. I tried to lay claim to the pyramids when I was there. I was like, do you know I'm a descendant? Um, but anyways. It's kind of cool. So Joseph, you know, ends up in Egypt because they were living in the land of Canaan. This is last time, kind of recap. Um, living in the land of Canaan all together. Jacob slash Israel, same person, remember, has these 12 sons. And, and Joseph is the second to youngest and really favored. And the older brothers get jealous 
um, of his dreams that he has, probably jealous of the love that the father, his father seems to have for him. And they, and they, one of them wants to kill him, Simeon. He's like, let's kill him. And then you remember Reuben and then Judah jump in and say, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him off um, to this traveling, these, you know, what do they call them? Caravan yeah. that's coming through. So they do, they sell him to this group and he goes off into Egypt. That's where he's sold into the house of Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. Remember, he gets falsely accused while he's there, ends up in prison for several years. Um, then the Pharaoh learns about him from another prisoner that had been in there with him. And he comes out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh actually makes him second in command of all of Egypt. Now, the dreams you remember were there was going to be seven years of famine. uh, I mean, excuse me, seven years of plenty in Egypt. And then it was going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph, um, this is uh, the revelation, right? There's nothing more to call Mm -hmm. it than just revelation that he's like, this is what we need to do. We need to prepare and store up in these seven years and of plenty, and then when the seven years of famine come, we'll be ready and we'll be stored up. And, and so it's, it's so what fun. they do. And when you look at the Hebrew word for what oh, yeah. is talked about in this part of the story, um, they're talking about preparing rations in Europe, and the Hebrew Europe word in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I've been reading the news every night before I go to bed? rations in Egypt, everyone, were thousands of years ago. And that Hebrew word is a word that would be S-H-E-V-E-R, shever. Is that how you think you would say it? Shever. Okay. Like David says it. And um, one thing that is fun in the Hebrew language is you always want to watch for even just a one letter difference in a word that is similar. And the, they do a lot of play on yeah, words. Yeah, they do a lot of play on words. The they Hebrew. love to in Hebrew. And so the word that is close to that would be sever, S-E-V-E-R. Um, so just missing that H, that's all. And that word means hope. And so it's fun as you read through this that on one hand, Joseph's job is to prepare rations for Egypt, but also his job is to prepare hope for Egypt. And I love the thought of that deliverance that he's preparing is, is going to be hope in a really hard place. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of leads us into this opening box that is, um, up at the top of your journal, which is Joseph as a type of Jesus, a type and a shadow is a, is a book of Mormon phrase. Just, you know, on a typewriter, um, when you push like a T on there, it like, it like goes up and hits a T onto the thing. That T is not the original T, but it looks like the imprint of the T. That's where that idea of type comes from. And shadow is obviously like, you know, like a, what a, not a, a reflection, replica. but a replica yeah. of the, of the real. And so you find these throughout the old Testament, what are called types and shadows of Jesus, things that are not him, but when you look at them, you're like, that is, there's so much Jesus in that story or that mm. person or that building or that color or all throughout the entire history of the Old Testament. We'll keep bringing them up as, as we go through. But you And you f- love that a type oh, of Oh, like we Christ. did one. We did one. Yeah. Abraham and Isaac, yeah. right, is an example. And you love that a type can be male or female. There will be, we will see women who also, Esther is a great example as a deliverer Deborah of is her one, people. Yeah. Deborah is one. Um, where you're going to see these types, which I love because isn't that our goal is to eventually become a type of 
Christ yeah. in our Tamar own life. Tamar was one yeah. last week, right? So, um, so you're going to start seeing this. One of the things that you want, might want to put in that box is he prepares hope for Egypt. Um, during hard times, he gives them something to hold on to, something to sustain them, something to look forward to. If you've never done this before, where you've tried to look at someone's story and see where they are a type, we thought it would be awesome to just give you a list of some things, and then you'll you'll go through these verses, and you'll be like, oh yeah, there that is, and there that is, yeah. where you'll be able to find them as you read. So David's just going to give you a list. So of- here's a few. He's uh, a firstborn of his, his mom. He's a shepherd. Uh, he was really loved by his father. He was also sent by his father on an errand at the beginning of his story. There were dreams and prophecies about what he was going to become and be, and nobody believed it because he seemed so normal, right? Um, when he gets sold off, he's betrayed by his brothers for the price of a slave, which in the time, the money he was paid for and the money that Jesus was betrayed for were the price of the of a slave in both their equivalent time periods. Interestingly, um, the idea to sell him off is Judah's idea and the idea to betray Jesus for money is Judas's idea. So that's so wild that their names are so, so similar, similar, right, to each other. You, uh, he avoids temptation, Joseph and Jesus do. Um, they both are put into a pit. They are both put into um, a prison. So you start seeing all these things. And then at the end of the story, spoiler, they both end up being deliverers. And interestingly, they're deliverers because they first went to the pit in the prison. They're able to be deliverers because they... They went through that hard thing. Right. They both had to go through that humiliating, hard um, experience in order to deliver the people. Right. So you'll see so many more. Um, one of my favorite spots to see this a, a good chapter is 45. You are just going to see so many phrases. This is when there's kind of a reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And we'll get to that part mm-hmm. of, of the story. But there are just so many verses in there. Can I just sneak peek you to like two? Yeah. Um, if you go to 45.4, I'm so happy you answered for all the people. <laughs> we, we do want you to. Why yeah. Interestingly, this is um, the brother's second coming that he's going to reveal to them who he is. Um, Jesus will obviously reveal to us who he is at his second coming. But he says, just listen to these words. I, sh- I shouldn't even say Joseph. I should just skip out his name and say this in four. And someone said to his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. I am your brother who you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved or angry that you sold me, for God did send me before you to preserve your life. Um, So you will just see to preserve you, Mm. to save your lives by a great deliverance. That's verse 7. Like that is just a Jesus verse. It's Joseph's story, but you read it and you're like, I can't help but see that. Jesus. Yeah, him there. And there's some that are just so easy, like what you read here where you're like, oh, yep, check, check. But you're going to also see in Joseph the character of Christ or the attributes of Christ. And anytime you start seeing type of Christ that are like, you're like, oh, I see that. I see that. I see that. Then you can go in and start looking for characteristics or attributes that also would teach us something about Christ. And that is one of the first lessons we want to dive into here. We call it empty your sacks. 
Um, for those of you who are preparing to teach at any age, this is such a fun lesson to do. It's fun to do with primary kids. It's fun to do with teenagers. Um, it, it is fun to do even with adults to just go through this empty your sacks lesson that happens right here. It's one of our favorite parts and it starts in 42. Well, let, yeah. And let's get them there. Yeah. So what happens is Joseph saves up all this for seven years, all of the grain and the corn and everything. Then the famine starts and they're about, I think a year or two into the famine and um, all these neighboring countries and nations have no food because they haven't been storing up. They didn't know it was coming. So one of those neighboring nations is Canaan, and that's where Jacob and the rest of his sons live. It's now been over 20 years since they sold Joseph into slavery. That's how long it's been. And Jacob hears there is corn in Egypt. And so he sends all but one of his sons. He doesn't send little Benji, um, his baby, because he's like, I, he after Joseph died, he's like, I cannot let this one go. I absolutely can't. And so he sends the rest of them. He says, go by corn in Egypt. And when they get there, they do not recognize Joseph, but Joseph knows who they are. And so they want to buy, you know, corn. They want to buy provisions provisions, um, from him. So that's, that's why they're there buying things from him. So that's where we come 42 and they see Joseph. I was just thinking to myself, don't you wonder how that was all orchestrated with all the people who were coming in? That How does Joseph see him? And he's like, oh, wait a minute. I know who they are. Yeah. Um, we don't know that part. But um, they he comes in. They come the first time. They have this conversation. They are needing food. And as they start talking about it, um, in verse 8, it tells us Joseph knew his brethren, but they didn't know who he was. And then he remembered his dreams. And all of those things. And you can just imagine how that happens, where all of a sudden there is just this flood of like, oh, this is so weird that this is like all coming to fruition right now in that moment. And we for, we should probably sneak this part in just because it's going to make sense in just a second. Yeah. That when they get there, Joseph actually kind of treats him a little bit harshly. He seems to kind of be putting him through a test mm-hmm. of character here. And he says, I think you're spies. And they're just like, I promise we're not spice. And then he says, then tell me about you. Tell me about your family. You know, just to kind of like quick questions, see if they fumble up their words. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, we're, we're 12 kids and one of them's not here anymore. You know, talking about Joseph. And he's like, well, where's the, where's the younger one that you were talking about? I was like, well, our dad kept him at home. And he's like, I think you're lying. I think you're making that up. He's like, I want you to bring me that younger kid. Bring me that younger kid, and I'm going to hold one of you hostage here. And it's going to be so interesting because this story is going to come full circle because who he keeps is Simeon, and that's who started the whole thing. And I love kind of watching. It's almost as if he's like, let me watch if you've changed. Like, he knows he's changed, but let me watch if you've changed in this. So he's going to keep Simeon. Everyone else is going to go back Yeah. for Benjamin. And then here comes our favorite part about this, these sacks, that this one part of the story that is just such a fun part to watch. So they get ready to go back. Um, he binds Simeon and probably takes him to the prison to hold him there. And, and really, you are just seeing, you're going to watch this full circle seriously come 
um, full circle. And that's also some of our favorite part. But then Joseph commands his servants to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provisions for the way. So that is what he does for all of them without them knowing. And so they, they go, they get all the way to the first inn and they, one of them opens up their sack to get out money to pay at the inn. And, and it tells us in verse 28, he's like, uh, all my money is restored. Like it's all in my sack and his heart failed him and they were afraid and they were like, wait a minute, what, what just happened? Because we have all the corn and provisions that we bought, but somehow we have all the money and they get really nervous about what are they supposed to do. And in this first one, um, I wrote down on my journal page, um, the, the top one. So they have all of their corn in their sack. Um, and, but then they also have a bundle of money in their sack and they go home. And I put on mine to that word restored. I'm so interested by that yeah. phrase. He's like, he restored their money. Yeah. So if you're keeping a list of some of these things, that might be a word you want. Um, and then they, and then they recount that story about to Jacob. This is what happened. We got there. There was this guy there. He made us tell all the story of our whole life. We told him how Joseph died. He wanted to know about the younger brother. Now we have to bring the younger brother back. But, but here is the problem too. All of our money is for some reason in our sacks. And they're so nervous about that. It came to pass in verse 35, as they emptied their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they are afraid because they're like, now you're, you're what are we going to yeah. do? And so they prepare to go back again. And um, they, after they had eaten up the corn, which they had, it is so interesting that they don't just go right back. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, I don't know what we should do. And their brother's I there. I know. And what about Simeon? He's just like, waiting. Well. Um, that when they had brought, I wrote this little note at the top of mine. When they had eaten up the corn and I just have Simeon. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> is he like, where is everyone? What is happening right now? And then the father says, okay, go back again and buy us some food. And... And Judah says to him, the man said, we cannot come back unless we bring Benjamin with us. And so there is this big conversation that happens. And finally, in verse eight, Judah said unto Israel, his father, just send the lad with me and we will arise and go so we can live and not die. Like our whole family is going to die if we don't do this. And then I love this line. I will be surety for him. Don't you love that line, mm -hmm. that, that word, sure? Like, I will promise to take care of him. I will not come back without him with me. And we're going we're gonna to see that come full circle too. But every time I read this, I, my personality wants to say, I, I wish I had a brother like that, that was like, that is his line. I will be surety mm -hmm. for him. And um, it's just, he's so confident of, I won't fail you in bringing him home. I yeah. won't fail you in that. And so he, he says to them, if it must be, then do this. Take the best fruit of the land, carry down the man a present, like you better take some balm, take double the money in your sacks. He tells them, you take double the money in verse 12. And just, just tell him, we think this might've been an oversight on your part. 
and take your brother and go. And so they do, they go and they go to Joseph's house and they say, sir, we don't know what happened, but when we opened the bag, everyone's money in full weight was in their sack. And so we brought that money plus we brought new money and you love that Joseph's answer. So first here, we're going to see this character of Christ in 23. He said, peace be to you. Fear not your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. Don't you love that? The God of Jacob, right? It, that, that's the God I'm talking about, right? They're in Egypt. There's a million gods, but he's like, your God and the God of your dad, he's the one who gave you this money. So you just start seeing this hint right there. And he brings Simeon out to them and he gives them water. He washes their feet, which do you love that mm -hmm. little hint mm -hmm. right there? Um, and they make ready. And when Joseph comes, they bring him this present, which they brought and they bow themselves to him, to the earth. And he says, is your father? Well, the old man whom you spake, is he yet alive? And, um, they bow themselves down to the earth and, um, he says, he sees Benjamin and he says, is this your younger brother of who you told me about? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And then I love that Joseph like is so the right word would be for Klimt, but who uses that? He's so <laughs> same people who have coins. <laughs> he's so just caught up in the emotion. He like has to run to his room and just sob. Cry, and then he comes back. He's like, "Here I am. I'm okay. <laughs> Puts I'm his fine. Egyptian makeup back on. Um, and comes out, and um, then he tells them again in 44 verse one. You want to write down. Um, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money back in the sack's mouth. And I just love the thought that, is that who Jesus is? Just fill them up full as much as they can carry. Like how much, how much abundance, how much goodness, just like you do it until they could not carry anymore. That is how much goodness. You know, I just love the thought of that. Yeah. And there. every phrase in there, he restored their money to every man in that second one in full weight, as much as they could carry. Yep. Like that is, and put in extra and send them with wagons and, you know, yes. just, it's, it's like, and it's so fun. And this is the, um, this is the spot. And let's just teach this because then we can move into the Benjamin and Judah story. We'll, we'll bring this one full circle first. Um, it's so interesting as they go through this process of leaving the last time they leave, he's going to send them with their bags are not even enough to carry how much goodness he is going to send with them. Like camels laden with stuff. That is just who he is. And I love going into 45, um, verse, um, 20. And it says this, um, in verse 19, now thou art commanded this duty, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. And I love in verse 20, when he says this and regard not your stuff. Don't you think that's so interesting? Like you're, you're not going to need anything. Don't, don't worry about your stuff. And I love the thought of that, the stuff, because the good of all the land of Egypt is going to be yours when they finally go back. And we'll talk about that. Which um, is cool to think of him saying it in these words, right? The, the place I've prepared for you is, is, is better that good. than what you have. Yep. So 
Leave your nets. Yeah. <laughs> leave your stuff. Yes, because this is going to be because so much I have better. Because something even and better. And at the end of 45, it's just going to tell you everything. 10 asses laden and 10 she asses laden with corn and bread. And um, when, when Jacob finally comes out, it says his heart fainted when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him. The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, and I love this line so much, it is enough. I just love that moment of like, oh, all of the years of hardship and the years of want and the years of not having enough. And all of a sudden in that moment, it was like, actually, I'm okay. Yeah. It, it's enough. And everything's going to be okay now. And this is what I love is this moment of um, this thought about who God is and the character of God that we see in this type of Christ, of that emptying out your bags and, and what is in that bag. And it's like filled to the brim of goodness. And one of my favorite things to do when I read this story of Joseph is to actually sit down and get out a piece of paper and empty my sack. That's what I want to do. And when I do this, when I sit down and do this process, I write at the top, of my paper, regard not your stuff. I don't write on there like, you know, my car and my, um, you know, those things that is my stuff. But when I empty out my sack, I want it to be treasure. Remember when he says, put every man's treasure in his sack. And what is my treasure? Like I look back over this year for us has been such a hard year. And I could list you the stuff. I could list you the hard stuff on there, but if I were to list you the treasures, um, the, the treasures have been there. My daughter, Megan just spoke in her ward a couple Sundays ago. And, um, as I sat there, she went through and just talked about where she had come to know Jesus better in her life this year. And then she started listing each of the members of our family one by one and the hard things that they carry. And, and she gave a name of Christ for every one of those situations. And I just sat in the back of that room and my heart was so full because I thought to myself, she found the treasure in the hard stuff. She found the treasure and it was him. He was the treasure. And on one hand, it was hard to sit there and listen to her list. I was like, oh my, that is exactly what we have carried this past year. But every time she brought that name of Jesus into each of those stories, I just thought to myself, we have been carried and our, our sacks are overflowing. And I think maybe that's why at Christmas when we did the, the names and each of my kids always picks one of those names with the candle and everybody tells about where Jesus has shown up in our story. I think it's so healing to do something like that and, and to be able to see the treasure. Like that's our empty out our sacks was that moment this year when we all sat together and emptied out our treasure and it was Jesus. Hmm. That was the treasure. And as we lead up to Easter and we have that opportunity to think about each of those names for those eight days, that's going to be an empty our sack moment. And it's going to be so sweet as we do that. Yeah, that last verse I think is so as as it 
ends out when he says, it is enough. Um, he says, Joseph, my son, is yet alive. Mm. And it's like, you just have a whole caravan of stuff that just showed up. And the thing that stirred his heart was, oh, but Joseph's alive. Yes. You know? And, it, and, it, and he's reminded of God's goodness and his provision mm-hmm. in hard moments. And I love that, that, that that is the God we believe in, is a God of provision and a, a God of treasure and a God of as much goodness as you can carry, um, even in the really hard things. And it's just, it's such a good lesson from this story. Okay, um, double tap back a couple of seconds in the story because we want to show another type of Christ as you know, this this other story of the brothers, kind of the reconciliation part of this. That forty five is when they they already know who he is. They go with their dad. Da, 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 da. So if you back up to that moment when they've come back this second time and he fills their bags all again with the corn and, and then he put in a, a silver cup in Benjamin's bag, like he snuck it in there from his table. And when they'd gone off a little bit, he sent servants after Benjamin. I mean, after the whole family, and he said. I, uh, Joseph, or they didn't call him Joseph, but Zapath Panea, whatever his Egyptian <laughs> name is, so mad at you. He was so nice to you and he was so good to you and you stole his cup. And everyone's like, we didn't steal the cup. And he's like, open up your bags. And they go down the line from oldest to youngest and then they get to Benjamin and they open it up and the cup is in there. And he's if like, you've ever seen Joseph <laughs> and the Technicolor dream coat, my mind just wants to flash oh. back to that. Because that you watch everyone open and then all of a sudden it is going to be... Little Benji. And it's important know? because remember Simeon, like Joseph is really going to let this full... He is trying their hearts right now. He is proving them in this moment. And Simeon, remember, he stayed and he went to prison and he experienced what Joseph experienced. And now it's Judah's turn. Yeah. Like what is going to happen? Because what's, what's going to be the, um, I want to say the consequence. Yeah. The consequence for stealing the cup is. So now you have to stay a slave um, and you have to be a slave in my household forever. And you have to get that boy as a slave, that's what you have to do. So they go and and they go back. And when they get back, this is up at the top of the paper where we wrote Judah's change. You might want to kind of like write in there too or in your scriptures, another type mm. uh, of Christ in here. And so... Um, and, and let's just think about Judah for a minute because we talked about him um, two weeks ago and last week. How easy it was for him, like in Tamar's story, what we see in Judah, and this becomes really important right now, is how easy it was for him to walk away from family responsibility. Remember, he was like, this may be the law, this may be the covenant I made to you, Tamar, but I'm I'm not going to do it. And he could so easily walk away from family responsibility in that story. And then we see it again the next week when he's like, we don't, let's not kill Joseph. But let's just get rid of him, right? He, he gives up that family responsibility. And in this moment, you just see Joseph trying that brother. And, and what we're going to see in Judah is not just a change. It's not just repentance. But that change is going to actually allow Judah to become a type of Christ. And don't you love that that can be true for all of us? Yeah. That, yeah. that we can 
have walked a harder path and, and we can still become a type of Christ. Yeah, no matter what our story looks like before. Yeah, if we let him work in us. So anyways, they go back. Benjamin is supposed to now be a slave. That's the consequence. And you just remember the promise Judah made, which was, what is the line that I love? Where he just said, I, um, I will be surety, surety for yeah. him. And he just tells Joseph the whole story. And he says, listen, you cannot do this. Like you cannot take him. Um, I, it would break my father's heart. He would not make it through. He wouldn't live. And I cannot do that. I can't. I promised him. I promised him I would bring him back. And then in the last verses of the chapter, well, 32, there it is. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father. And, and, and I, and I said, I'd bring him back. And then 33 and, and 34. You, and you love that part too, where he's like, take me. Right. In 33. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, I, take me instead. Let me go in his place and let me become the, the servant and let him go home. And then in 34, he says, for how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? How could I go home and not take him home? with me. And then you want to say that same thing before. Don't you wish you had a brother like that? Yeah. And the answer is you do. And it's beautiful and powerful that Jesus will actually come from the line of Judah. Somebody who says, take me instead. How could I return home without my brothers and sisters? I I have to get them home, you know? And Mm -hmm. That is just one of the most powerful types of Christ, I think, in this entire thing. And I think it is so cool that it really comes from someone who wasn't that before. Yeah. You know? And then this is how he'll be remembered. And imagine what Joseph thinks in that moment. Like, because what was Judah's decision in him? It was like, go. Sell my brother. Be the slave. I actually don't care about you. Yeah. But in this one, he's like, no, no. Take me instead. I can't. Take me instead. Yeah. And now he's used to running off to his room to cry and he can't help it right here and he just bursts forth and he just says this is the best part yeah, and he's just like oh it's me this is 45 and he's like it's me it's me and he's like crying aloud and he's just like it's i'm joseph you know um tell me about my dad cut this those verses come near to me um come like hug let's cry together yes. and they and they do and and the brethren all bow down and i mean and he makes these promises that are so cool in 10 he's like you will be near unto me here i will nourish you in verse 11 i i you tell my father that all of you get to share in all of my glory in egypt in verse 13 and it's so powerful to see him as a type of christ because he's saying this to people that are so undeserving of it. And I can't help but put myself in those mm. brothers' spots and to pretend I'm them and to hear someone so generous to me. And, and when I'm so undeserving of it, to say, come, you're going to live here. You're going to share mm. in all this glory. You are going to be a part of this. And and I feel like my reaction walking in the presence of the Savior will be the same as the brothers, like falling down to me. Like, I, 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 it's too good. Yeah, this is too good for somebody like, for somebody like me. And and he says, and moreover, he kisses all of them and weeps on all of their necks. And he just, and, and he just says, and then the brothers start to apologize and they start to say to him what I feel like I would say, which is, we were so bad to you. We, we threw you in a pit. We sold you off. You spent time in prison. You were 
you've spent 20 years away from your from your dad, from your mom, who's now passed away. You know, mm-hmm. like we've done you so, so wrong. And then you get to these verses that oh, you that love so, so much. And as we go into these, um, let, let's just talk about this for a minute, because have you ever had those moments in your life that have been so hard or um, so overwhelming or so you just never thought they were going to come to a resolution and then they do, and you look back and you're like, there's only one way that could have happened. And we're going to see it so beautifully here. But, but in these verses are two words that are, if you know me well, you know, these are two of my favorite words ever. And they're the words, but God. And we're going to see it twice in this story. And let me tell you when I fell in love with these words. And let's just say that's the, we normally pick one word a week, but we couldn't help yes. it this week. So the word on the poster this week is both but, of them. Yeah, it's but, but God. God. And let's tell you why we love that word, those words so much. Um, and you'll think of moments in your own life where this has happened and you'll be like, that was a but God moment. Um, many years ago, I was working on an event with a large group of women that I was so excited about. And the way everything came together, we just had a few hours to prepare this entire event before the event was gonna start. And that's just what happened with the facility and everything. My husband plans events, that's his job, that's his profession. And so he and I had worked through everything and and part of what we were doing, it was gonna be outside in this huge field and we were, Um, putting up these huge festival tents and there was three of them that were going to have to go up plus chairs for a thousand people and staging and all of these things that was going to happen and as we got ready the night before Greg was like we better get up and you're going around on a scooter and I had had a melanoma (laughs) removed and uh, stitches in my leg and so I was like could barely walk, that it just happened days before because you can't schedule a melanoma, everyone. <laughs> and so we get up at five in the morning and we're driving down there and my personality is so Pollyanna. That is just who I am and I'm so excited and everything. And Greg says to me, I just need to tell you, for, I still remember where we were on the road. I just need to tell you realistically, this is not going to happen the way you have imagined it in your mind. Like, I put on events all the time. The odds that we get all of those tents up by two o'clock this afternoon, all of the chairs set, all of the sound system up, all of the staging, like you need to prepare yourself for the reality of this situation. And I thought back to a year before when I had had this dream And in the dream, I could see clearly what we were meant to be doing and how it was going to play out. I I just saw the whole thing. And I was like, no, I know we're supposed to do this. I know because I saw it. I know what's about to happen here. And he was like, I know. And and you hold on to that. But I'm I'm telling you the reality of like what today is probably going to look like. And I can remember saying to him, I would believe you, Greg, but God. And at two o'clock when those doors opened for the event and the women started pouring in, you know what? All of the diamond rental trucks were gone. They were gone. It was ready. And I think sometimes God just shows up there, the but God moments of our life when we're like, 
people are going to say, this is not going to work out. This is not going to happen the way you think. This is, there will never be a resolution to that. And I just want to whisper in those moments, but God. And that is what Joseph does here. And he does it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. He says this in verse five, we're still in um, chapter 45. Um, he says, don't be sad. He says to his brothers, and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me. And then he says this important line, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And for these two years hath the famine been in this land, and yet there are five years more, and we're going to be okay. Because in verse seven, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Don't you love that moment, that but God moment that all along God was like, you give me all the reasons why this isn't going to work or why this isn't right or why this whatever. But at the back of your mind, you just whisper those two words, but God. And we're going to see it one more time in chapter 50. And I was going to say, I never really thought of this before that he, like you looked back on your dream, you know, that Joseph's looking forward to the five years and he says, we're going to be okay. And the reason I know we're going to be okay is because I can see what he's done. Yes. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out right now, but I've been here before when I didn't know how it was going to work out. And he's almost trusting yes. like, what he's learned in the past. Because of what to, like, he's done right. to hold on to for the future. And I'm going to skip ahead, but then we're going to go backwards again. But I just want to pull this lesson together um, in verse 50. Chapter I 50. mean, chapter 50, verse 18. Again, it's, it's kind of just still circling around this idea. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not. And then I love when he says this, and, and people read this all different ways. I'm going to tell you how I love to read this. He says, for am I in the place of God? Am I not exactly where God needed me to be right now? If I hadn't had the pit, if I hadn't come to the palace, if I hadn't spent that time in prison, I wouldn't be in this place right now. And, and where that place looked like the worst place in the world, the place I didn't want to be, is it not the place of God in this moment? It, is it not where we were meant to be? And, and he says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. And then we see those two words again, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And, and then he comforts them and speaks kindly. But I just love that moment where he's like, don't like, don't try and take away what has happened here because it was hard and it was bad. And, you know, looking back, some people would say, I, I wouldn't choose to do that, but God. And because he could see God in that moment, he just knew um, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And this was what was supposed to happen so I could save much people alive. And I think it's so cool that um, that phrase, the place of God, that there's a lot of people who might say, if things are going really well, if the bank account is full, if mm -hmm. nobody's mad at each other, they could say like, this is the place of God. 
you know? And where he's at at this time, like everything's good, you know? And he's like, this is the place of God. But the fact that he can call the pit the place of God and the prison the place of Mm -hmm. God is like, because a lot of people would say like, if things are going bad, it means God is bad. Yeah. If things are going good, it means God is good. But he has this perspective of saying like, no, God was in that place. And, and, and you could use that phrase, but God to me, you know, an answer to so many like things we might say to ourselves, like, but I've done something horribly wrong. And it's like, but God, mm. or they, they, I'm yeah. never getting out of this. But God, yeah, or I've been promised this thing that isn't coming to fruition, and here are all the reasons why it won't. But God, and I wear a bracelet um, regularly that just has those two words written on it. But God, and it is my reminder on the hard things that even when I don't think it's going to work out, even when I can't see the resolution, even when it seems there is no miracle in sight, but God. And, and those are the moments when he shows up and it's so beautiful. And I think to myself, it's so interesting because think about this story. When you think about Joseph on that day, all of those years before, when he came to find his brothers and they throw him into the pit. And what do you think Joseph is praying for when he's in the pit? Just think, what, what is his desperate prayer? And it is deliverance. Just get me out of this. And then that moment when they're pulling him out, do you think he's like, oh, my prayer was answered. And the next thing he knows, he is on this caravan and he's about to be a slave. And what do you think his prayer is in that moment? And it's deliverance, right? He's like, Heavenly Father, I'm trying to pray for deliverance right now. Like, why do you not hear me? Why did you not hear me in the pit? And why do you not hear me on the caravan? I'm praying for deliverance right now. And when he gets in the prison, what do you think his prayer is? It's deliver me from this, like deliver me out of this. And it's so interesting because what if God had delivered Joseph in the pit? What if he had? What if that's the prayer he's going to answer? That prayer for deliverance is the prayer God will answer. But what if he had answered it in the pit? Nothing would have happened. And I wonder if sometimes we need to remember that, that God hears our prayer. He heard Joseph pray for deliverance in the pit and in the palace and in the prison. But do you think he was like, Joseph, I will give you deliverance but you got to wait for my timing on this one because the deliverance I have in mind mm-hmm. and the deliverance you have in mind is, is not the same deliverance. It's the right prayer, but my outcome is so much better than yours. Yeah. And it almost like just puts an exclamation point better than most spots in scripture, you know, of like these two lessons. One God can work for good, even the malice of men. Like he mm. can even take mistakes and malice and, and like, and he can still turn them for good. Like he can do that. Like it yeah. was, he did not want the brothers to sell him, but he's like, just because you sold him doesn't mean I can't turn this for good. Like yeah. you can't mess up your life or anybody else's, mm. you know? I remember we, we learned about that with Tamar. Yeah. That, he, that even when it, we feel he is not working, 
he is orchestrating right. the whole time. Which is that other lesson, which kind of goes with it, which is mm-hmm. like, wait, the silence of God does not mean the absence of God, right? And the hiddenness of God doesn't mean the indifference mm. of God. Like those are not the same yeah, thing. So good. And I love this thought that um, you look at what did Joseph have to give in order for that deliverance to become complete. And it actually cost him something, right? It, it cost him everything yeah. for those years. And that is true. And it makes me think of a line Elder Holland actually used in his last conference talk. And he only gives us a line out of this poem by T.S. Eliot. But this quote, you are going to die over this quote, is so good. He just talked about that um, it, sometimes it's costing no less than everything is what is expected of us. And that is what happened to Joseph. It, it cost him no less than everything to deliver his family. And listen how neat this whole quote is. It says this, quick now, here, now, always. A condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Mm. Don't you love that? And sometimes it does cost not less than everything that we have, but in that moment we will see that simplicity of God showing up, and then all will be well. All Mm. manner of things will be well. And I think that is important to remember when we are in the prison or the pit or you know, when we're in that place that it, it's okay, it, it might cost you something, but all will be well, right? But God. Yeah. And, and this is where he becomes like just another powerful type of Christ where you're just like, God took a great wrong in Joseph's life and turned it into a great good, a mm. great deliverance. And, and the same is true of Jesus, like there are moments in Jesus' story where you're like, this is not fair. Like I don't see God in it, but God actually took the, the greatest act of wrong mm. and he turned it into the greatest deliverance. Yeah, you so know? good. And I'm and trying to remember what the words are down there at oh, the bottom. Oh, they're so awesome because they're words that describe God. Um, the, uh, the word that we picked, we didn't put, but we put God's word, which is Elohim, the supreme God exceeding great and mighty and to think like that is who's running the story Mm. that is who's intervening that's who's a part of this and if if he can take um a pit and turn it into the place of god if he can take it across and turn it into a symbol of beauty then he can take whatever our story looks like Mm. and he can turn it into something beautiful, amazing, and wonderful. Yeah, I love this thought at the bottom of the devotional for Genesis 50 that just says, think of the greatest trial in your life. Can you see how God meant it unto you for good? And if you can't see it now, ask God to open your heart to understand. In the midst of our greatest trials, it's okay to question. We just have to make sure we are asking the right question. Asking why might not help us discover the answer we are truly seeking. Perhaps the right question to ask in the midst of tribulation is the one Joseph asked. Am I in the place of God? Is this trial helping me to arrive at the place God needs me to be? 
Mm. And I just love that thought of that as we look at that. And then we're going to get to this part where Jacob comes so happy. Yeah, yeah. And, om- and almost kind of outlines for each of them this same lesson. Jacob in chapter 49, when they, they all move into Egypt together. Um, they leave from the land of Canaan and they come into Egypt and they will be there, um, spoiler, all the way through Moses, right? That's how they get into Egypt as they move in with Joseph and things are great and they, and they look really good. And, and Jacob now wants to give each of his sons a blessing and also two sons that he's adopted into his family, the two sons of Joseph, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he's going to give them um, their blessings is all, also, and that's where they kind of enter into, even though they're grandsons, where they kind of enter into the tribes the of Israel. Right? Simeon will eventually get um, sucked into Judah, and then you're going to have Ephraim and Manasseh who come in. And I love just as you think about them, this family, like we we were able to see at the get go these internal struggles of all of the brothers, right? You you see like a regular working family with <laughs> good days and bad days, and I love that as you think about all of those boys are going to grow up and raise families, and those families will eventually become tribes, and that becomes the house of Israel, right? We're talking about Israel, but we are um, also part of that house, and I just think it's so fun to think. Um, they're di- as different from each other as 12 sons could be. Their temperaments varied widely. From the war-loving Benjamin to the security-loving Issachar, from the morally unstable Reuben to the self-disciplined Joseph, from the violent natures of Simeon and Levi to the calm judgment of Judah, um, that it, it's just everybody comes in with, um, you know, what is the struggle of family dynamics. But, but within that struggle, God will prevail. And he will do his great work of trying to keep that family whole and together. And, and, you know, as a mom, you love knowing that part of God's promise is that those tribes will return. And Mm -hmm. there are kids that will also return. And that is God's promise. And you might say to yourself, how is that ever going to happen? Do you know what's happening in the life of my child? And I never see that return being possible. And when you read this story, you just want your answer to be, but God. Yeah. And you have right here in this story, kind of like the first spot in the Old Testament where you see like what you would call a patriarchal blessing, this great patriarch over the family with the gift of foresight um, is blessing each of the children and sees what it is that's in their heart and also sees what some of their possibilities are. And it's cool that they're all so different from each Mm. other. And yet they will all have the same call and commission and they'll use their different strengths and God will use their different struggles. I should say that different, that God will use their different strengths and their different struggles to help bring about a great work in them and in Mm. the rest of the human family. And it's fun because this is a chapter you might want to come to and study and, and study deeper. Lots of people are like, what does it mean when you get your patriarchal blessing and you are assigned to a tribe? Is that like a bloodline or what is, what, what are you assigned to? And I love, um, my patriarch talked about, you are assigned to a great work, the work of that tribe. And If you want to know the work of that tribe, one of the places that you can find it is in these blessings that 
um, are laid out in these chapters where you, you start seeing that hint of possibility. I loved that quote that you shared yeah. earlier about that. This Harold B. Lee's line, when he was talking about his own patriarchal blessing, he called them paragraphs from the book of possibilities. And it's so powerful to consider that, that like when you, when you receive a blessing and God sees something in your future and he sees possibility and it's neat to think and wonder, how is he going to use me? Mm. How is he going to use my hardships? How is he going to use my strengths to bring about the, the great work of all the tribes, right? Which is to take the blessings of the everlasting gospel to all the world. Mm. And in what ways is that going to happen? Like, the way God wow. delivered this family was so unexpected. The way Jesus delivered mankind was so unexpected. And why would we not ex- expect that same unexpectedness yeah. right? in our in, own in stories? And I love, too, that we get to see this, this sweet moment with this father and this grandfather blessing all of his posterity. And one of my favorite things when I study other religions and one of the reasons why I love to study other religions is to see what I learn about my own religion from their writings. And one of the things that I was reading just barely this week stood out to me and I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. And it actually makes my knowledge deeper of this. We use the word um, patriarch often. We talk about patriarchal blessings. We each have patriarchs within our stake, sometimes more than one patriarch that gives those blessings. And sometimes that feels like it just is part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because we're the ones in this generation that are talking about that kind of language, a blessing that would come from a patriarch that's really familiar to us and maybe not as familiar when you visit other religious places, and it feels unique to us, but I love reading clear back as the Jews would study these same verses and this idea, and and here's how they describe it. Every blessing bestowed by man is at the core a prayer, since it asks God to help him accomplish what he by himself cannot. The patriarch sees himself as God's co-worker and as an essential link between the generations. Jacob sees his life spread before him. He is aware of the continued presence of God and acknowledges it with deep feeling. Past and future are now fused. His life is completed. The blessings of Abraham, which Isaac had bestowed on him, has now passed down to his children's children. And when we go into a patriarch, when we sit there and we have those hands placed on our head, This is what is happening. The blessing of Abraham that Isaac passed down to Israel and Israel passed down to his sons. That is the blessing we are receiving. That's why we find out our tribe. Um, I don't know if your blessing talks at all, but mine talks a lot about the Abrahamic covenant and the Abrahamic blessing and teaches a lot of that in there. And I love that in essence, I am a great, great, great granddaughter of this same blessing that was handed down all through posterity. And what a beautiful image that is. Yeah. And as part of that, and maybe we can end here on this, this concept that's taught so well here in 49 and 50, the, this greater deliverance that God will be involved in our lives and he will deliver us from things in our lives. But 
Joseph says to his um, to his brothers and and to his family two things. One, and you were going to say say some that thing you learned about this verse eighteen and forty nine. Yeah, it's so interesting because um, we've talked a lot about how different sentences can be translated just a little bit differently. So in the King James version, that Hebrew translation would. Um, this is Jacob talking. And he says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. That can also be translated to say, I wait for your deliverance, O Lord. And such an interesting thing to say, because if you were living in the story at that time, you're like, wait, we just had the deliverance. Like this was a huge deliverance. Could there be a greater deliverance than this? And you love that what is ahead and Jacob was given the whisper of a hint of what was coming is going to be a Moses deliverance, but then a Jesus on the cross deliverance and eventually an end time deliverance. Like this is the beginning of the story of deliverance that Jacob is witness to previewing and you just love that, that it was this huge deliverance, but a greater deliverance was in store. Right. And it's something that each of us can anticipate and look forward to also, is that there is a greater deliverance. God is, God is at work in our individual mm-hmm. lives, but he's also at work in this great story of deliverance that he has for the That's whole coming. human family. And Jacob hints toward it and Joseph hints toward it at the very end. And I, I love Joseph so much. Yeah, he says this. Um, he's got his two children with him on his knees, Ephraim and Manasseh, which is cool. Their names actually mean um, something really neat. Um, you have Ephraim, to say. Yeah, Ephraim's to name say means fruitful and Manasseh's name means forgetting. But he named him that in Egypt because he says that the Lord has helped me to forget my hardships. And then he says, Ephraim, I named him fruitful because the Lord is going to make me fruitful in this place. Of affliction, yeah, in the place of affliction. So you love that it was forgetting the hardship and seeing the abundance in affliction is what those two boys were meant to remind him of. Yeah. And it's something that Joseph experienced. He experienced that. So with those two reminders right there on the knees, he then says to his brothers, now I'm going to die. And God will surely visit you, and he will bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And um, that is a hint back to a promise that he has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that is not fulfilled yet. And he's like, yes, God is working and moving, but there is still more that is yet to come. And I love when he's like, take me with you. Do not leave me in Egypt when you go, right? Take me with you when you go to that land. And just that, that hope, everything, even though we feel like everything is resolved um, at the end of the story, but you love that Joseph is like, oh, there's a better resolution even than this. And I do not want to miss that, you know, (laughs) take me with you. And, And even though he'll be watching from heaven, I just love the thought of um, that, that hope, remember that was his job to bring hope into Egypt. And he just did it so well. Yeah. And it's Jesus's work for all of us right now. He will bring hope into our pits, our prisons, our palaces, and he will bring about deliverance and also a great deliverance. 
that we all are looking forward to. Yeah, so good. Okay, see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.